Alright, good morning. We'll get started here. Last week we wrapped up 1 Samuel, which actually isn't 1 Samuel, by the way. We talked about that early. Uh, we're going to start 2 Samuel here, but... Thank you, Mike. In the time of Jesus during the Septuagint, the, translate, the translation from the Hebrew to the Greek. What the books that we call 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings were all one book. And that book's name was Greek or of Reigns, meaning uh, the Reigns of Kings. So if you talk, so when you get to heaven, you ask like Peter or Paul, how'd you like 2 Samuel? He's going to look at you like, what? There is no 2 Samuel. There's only one sin. So, yeah, you do have to be careful when you when you talk about uh, books because they're, the names of the books different on the translation and the age of the translation and what language you're translating it into. But for us, we're going to start the book in your Bible that says Second Samuel. Uh, and as you will notice, the story just continues on. It's not like they restart the book. Uh, they just kind of split the book when it got a lot of it has to do with early first century and the books got a certain length they couldn't go any longer so they would just end them and, and start writing on another book uh, last week as Randall <laughs> someone asked Randall who wrote these books uh, the answer is lots of people uh, we know in the book of Chronicles, and in your Bible is First and Second Chronicles, and in the in the Hebrew Bible it have just been Chronicles. Uh, it says that Samuel and Nathan wrote wrote the book, uh, and uh, more than likely the books of the kings was put together during the Babylonian captivity. And so there were writings that were going along. Samuel probably kept writings. Nathan, they're actually, what, elsewhere in the Old Testament says the book of Nathan, other writings of Nathan. Nathan probably wrote. And so a writer probably 400 years after this put all of this together into the books that we now know as 1st, 2nd, 1st, 2nd Kings. 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. So, uh, these, these were written down. They were not, they were written contemporaneously with the actions, but they were put together at a later time. Because people always think about, it, well, how did Samuel write this? Because Samuel's dead. You know, Samuel died uh, just before Christmas. Not for us. Uh, and so, you know, they had, they had the funeral for him. So Samuel clearly did not write about David becoming king, because he's already dead. Nathan is still around, and Nathan's going to show up a lot more in this book. All right. Uh, the other thing is the Bible promises predicts the kings of Israel. Uh, you know, originally it says, well, the people wanted a king, and then, you know, Samuel said, no, you shouldn't have a king. But if you look at Genesis 17, 6, uh, God promises Abraham that his, he will be, uh, his descendants will be a king. Will be kings, plural. Uh, and then in Deuteronomy 17, uh, Moses tells the people, Deuteronomy is the second telling, basically they're getting ready to come into the Holy Land, to conquer the Holy Land. Moses gives them a retelling of the law. And what he, he gives them in Deuteronomy 17, all right, when you enter the land the Lord has given you and have taken possession, and you will say, let us set a king over our, us like all the nations around us, which is exactly what happens when Samuel is the priest and the prophet. The people come to him and say, we want a king like everybody else. Moses 
So this would have been almost 400 years before this. Moses, through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit through Moses, says, all right, when you do that, here's the type of king you need to appoint. You need to appoint, uh, he must be an Israelite, uh, he must not acquire a great number of horses, uh, he shouldn't take the people back to Egypt, uh, he should not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. Second half of this book is all about that exact point with Solomon. Uh, and he should not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. And when he takes the throne, he should write for himself. He should write for himself, which that's part of learning when you write stuff down. A copy of this law. It should be with him, and he is to recall it all the days of his life. So when he makes decisions, he goes back to the law. And so what he is, what Moses is telling the Israelites 400 years before this is when you appoint a king, appoint a godly man, one who follows the law. And we'll see as we go through 2 Samuel, David and Solomon struggle mightily with that. Even though David's called a man after God's own heart, he has problems. He is not a perfect man by any example. All right, so just to review, when are we? Uh, Samuel's born around 1100 plus minus. Saul rules about 1050 to 1010. So last week when Randall's telling the story, that's 1010 B.C. So he dies. David rules 1010 to about 970. Now these, you know, years can slide a little bit one way or the other, uh, but it's a, these are ballpark. And the other interesting thing is Ziklag, because if you, in 1 Samuel, that's the city of David. He takes over. He's appointed. He's given that city by the Philistines. And it says in 1 Samuel, Ziklag remains in the hands of the Israelites to this day. Because when it was written, which is Nathan probably at this point, it was. But the Egyptians in 925, which is after Solomon is dead and the kingdom is split. So I'm telling you the end, the, the end of the book. The kingdom's going to split. Uh, you know, that's the big reveal at the end of this when you go into Kings. Uh, the Egyptians then take Ziklag. So we, we know, that's how we know some of the timing for this. Uh, because this was, this was written before the Egyptians take Ziklag. So we know a lot of this was written down before 925. Alright. So that kind of tells us where we're at. And just as a reminder... Here are the, the land distributions of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, and the interesting part is the last two children of Abraham, uh, sorry, Jacob, are Jude and Benjamin. So the entire books, now first and second Samuel, are the two brothers fight the third tribes fighting each other for who can be king. Uh, and so this is uh, when they crossed over right at the end of the book of Joshua it would have looked a lot like this so a lot of the action that we've had in the book of Samuel have taken place right in this center section and then a couple people have asked me what about all, all the guys that Randall was talking about last week that David was out fighting against Here's all the tribes that surround Israel. Edom, Nabatu, Moab, Ammon, Armenian, Aaron Damascus. The Assyrians are up here. They're going to come back in about three books. Uh, the Phoenicians and the Philistines. And so when David is down here in Ziklag, he's raiding all this area here. They think he's going here, but he's really going down here. Uh, and so when you read the books, and you'll, they'll talk about these different tribes. This is kind of a picture of where those tribes are. 
surrounding them. Uh, if you read history, most history will call the Philistines and the Phoenicians the Sea People. Uh, you a lot of times go, you know, I, I learned in Bible class, it's the Philistines, and you read history, and they'll say Sea People. Uh, the Sea People came from up around Greece and settled multiple areas. The Philistines were one of the tribes of Sea People. Uh, they were basically mercenaries. They lived by raiding. They didn't. They weren't farmers. They learned that you let everyone else farm, and then the day after harvest, you go take it from them. That's how they lived. Uh, their, their main gods we learned in our last uh, book was Dagon. Uh, Baal, who show, will show up later, is one of Dagon's sons. Uh, Ashtaroth, uh, who showed up last week, is the daughter of Dagon, the sister of Baal, and probably his wife of some sort. Uh, so all the, those are the... Uh, the ruler or the uh, gods of uh, the sea people of Philistines. And just, I, I like this one because we talked about how small a distance we're talking about in this book. Here is 20 miles. So you can see when uh, he's in Ziklag and he's running down here, he's only going 20, 30 miles away from his. his town. Uh, and you can see from Jerusalem to uh, Ashdod or Ashkelon, cap the capitals, it's about 20 miles. It's not very far. So a lot of these stories where you see them uh, getting the people together and marching up at Ekron or Gath or up where they destroyed the, the tabernacle of Shiloh, they're not going a long distance. This is not like a six-week journey. Now you can march that in two or three days. And we're going to see in today's story about how long it takes. But I'll, but I'll yes. say the Dead Sea is 700 feet below sea level. In Jerusalem is at 3,100 feet. Sorry. That's, that's 14 miles. Right. And then there, this is a mountain range that runs through here. Yeah. Okay. Once you get to this side, you can't do it because it's steep. It's not very far, but it's steep. This side is fairly flat and pretty easy uh, to go. And then, you know, as we talked about last semester, this is very mountainous. So the Hebrews did not have chariots. This is very flat. So the Philistines did have chariots. And more importantly, they had iron, as we learned, uh, because they actually write down what it cost you to go sharpen your plow from the blacksmith in the Philistines. Uh, all right, so that's kind of a review of where we ended up. Now, immediately, you know, the end of 1 Samuel, uh, Saul is de dead, dies, Jonathan dies. And so immediately starting after the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites. So he goes south to where he was at uh, and stayed in Ziklag two days. So David, you know, remember he was with the Philistines. They sent him home and said, we don't trust you attacking your own people. And so while he was home, he went and uh, got the guys that attacked the city where he was gone. Uh, and a man arrives from Saul's camp with his torn clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell on the ground to pay him honor, because David is at least the leader of this area. This guy, if he's from, if he's from Saul's camp, he's not going to acknowledge David as the king yet. Uh, and he says, where'd you come from? He says, well, I came from the Israelite camp. What happened? Uh, they don't have, you know, there's no Facebook, nobody's Instagram posting. So you're a couple days away by uh, foot. Uh, he says, well, many fell and died. Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. 
Jonathan is David's best friend. He's just finding out right here that Jonathan's dead. Uh, and so how do you know? He says, it happened, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, which is up where the battle was occurring. And I saw leaning on a spear with the chariots and the drivers in hot pursuit. And he turned around and called me, what can I do? He says, who are you? I'm an Amalekite. So he's in Saul's army, but he's not a Hebrew. Uh, interesting enough, he is from the tribe that David just attacked. Uh, and he says, stand by here and kill me, because I'm in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. He does not want to be captured alive by the Philistines. Because remember what, ha what happened to all his stuff? They got taken to the temple. And what happened to his bodies? Well, they took his head to the temple. And they staked the bodies on the wall of the, of the closest cities to the Hebrews. Uh, and, so, and so Saul knows, because that's the norm for this, that day and age. And so Saul knows this is coming. He goes, I'm wounded, I'm, I'm dying, kill me. And so I stood beside him and killed him because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band that was on his arm and brought them here to my Lord. So this guy wants reward for this. He, he realizes that now that Saul's dead, David's going to become king. He's the next big guy. So I'm going to bring the crown of Israel and the royal insignia to David to say, proof that Saul is dead, you're now the king, maybe you reward me. He got a reward, which is not exactly what he was looking for. Uh, and so David and all the men with him took hold of the clothes and tore them. They were in mourning. Uh, and they mourned and wept and fasted uh, because they had fallen by the sword. And then once again, he asked him, where are you from? I'm a son of a foreigner, an Amalekite. Why were you not afraid to lift your hand and destroy the Lord's anointed? Remember, David's had the opportunity to do this multiple times through 1 Samuel. and does not kill Saul. And he called one of his men and says, Go strike him down. And so he strike him down and dead. For he said to him, Your blood is on your own head. Your mouth testified against you when you said, I have killed the king. So, just consistent with David is that you know, he uh, very much even though Saul's been trying to kill him for six years, five years at this point, a, fair, a fairly good amount of time, he still mourns the death of Saul. And interesting, uh, last week when they killed Saul, it, they took his sword and his armor. Where did they take it? <coughs> Does everyone remember? Dagon. No, not Dagon. The temple of Ashtaroth. Why didn't they go to Dagon? Because Dagon is the big, Dagon is the fish king. He is the. Dagon. No, no, no one was Dagon. Because what happened the last time the Philistines took something to the temple of Dagon? Yeah, it all fell apart. They took the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant to the temple of Dagon. And they, the idol of Dagon falls over. So the Philistines set it back up. The next day they come in, it's now fallen over, the head's broken <coughs> off, the hands are broken off. And it says in 1 Samuel, and they, no one has set foot in the temple of Dagon to this day. So whoever's writing this, Samuel or Nathan, that temple is, which is also uh, coincidentally the temple that Samson was taken to. So they're thinking this is a really unlucky temple at this point. You have Samson who destroys the temple. They rebuild it in the same city. The Ark of the Covenant comes, destroys the temple, well, destroys the idol. And that's, as you remember, when they put the, uh, the uh, Ark of the Covenant on the 
wagon with the two oxen and sent it back to the uh, Hebrews. So they actually have now taken Ashtaroth, which is the next god down. All the stuff goes to her temple because they won't they won't enter the temple of Dagon anymore. So just some some interior evidence that whoever wrote this book really knew what he was talking about. That it didn't go to the same temple. It would have gone to Dagon except for the fact that nobody goes in the temple anymore. All right, any thoughts or questions about kind of the like I said this directly starts from the, there is no break in the book. As soon as the story is done, it starts with this story. First Samuel says uh, Saul fell on his sword. This seems to contradict that. It, it's not clear whether uh, it also says he was shot by archers. Which actually, this is more consistent because archers in the Philistines army rode chariots. So yeah, they were probably chasing him and shot him with a bow and arrow. Uh, it's not clear whether this guy actually killed Saul or he came upon Saul who was already dead and then he just wanted to pump up, you know, because he's looking for a job at this point, right? Because his, his previous employer is no longer in business. The, this fire. And so he's now going to David and saying, hey, you know, I killed, I killed your worst enemy, Saul. And I've got the crown. He may have just found him and taken the crown and come to David. Or he may have, he may not have been all the way dead and he helped him. Either one of those work with this description. So you don't know whether the guy's just pumping himself up or Saul was not quite dead and he finished the job and then took the crown and the uh, singlet. All right, and then David writes a lament, uh, which is, uh, he took up this lament concerning Saul and Jonathan, and he ordered that the people of Judah, remember, he's only the king of Judah at this point, this, this southern tribe, uh, be taught this lament of the bow, and is written in the book of Jeshar. This is another one of the books that are mentioned in the Bible that we don't have any copies of. So we don't know whether they're included in other books like the Book of Psalms or what happens in this book. There, there are several of them that are mentioned in passing. Uh, this is one of them. A gazelle lay slain on your heights, Israel, how the mighty have fallen. In Hebrew, gazelle and glory are homonyms. Except the words sound like, right? Is that the right word? Who's the English people on here? It's not me. Hominem sounds alike. So, gazelle and glory sound alike in Hebrew. So a lot of times when you see Proverbs or Psalms, they'll talk about gazelle. What they're meaning is glory. Uh, Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad. So, you know, the mighty leader of Israel has fallen. Uh, the mountains of Geboa, may you neither do or rain or have no showers fall on your terrace fields. For there the shield of the mighty was despised, the shield of Saul no longer rubbed with oil. So this is his lament for the death of Saul. The bow of Jonathan did not turn back, the sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan in life, they were loved and admired in death, they are not parted. They were swifter than eagles and stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery and adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. So he's really heaping praise on Saul, the man who tried to kill him for the last three or five years. Uh, how have the mighty fallen in battle? Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve you, Jonathan, my brother. You are very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. We're going to get to that in two seconds. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war have perished. <clears throat> going back to my lecture last semester, 
Um, you will see a lot of modern author, authors say that Jonathan and David were in a same-sex relationship. And they talk about some in 1 Samuel. They talk about this specifically. Your love was more wonderful to me than women. A couple ways to answer and talk about that. One is, David is not very, when we get to the rest of this book, he's not very good at picking women's. His women's relationships are not good. Uh, Bathsheba is, that's, the, that's not the first time he has problems. Uh, so the fact that Jonathan is more steady than all his wives, that is not a high compliment. Uh, and then the fact that this is, uh, the Hebrew word is the same Hebrew word all the time for love. Uh, he's basically saying that they were, that was his best friend. That was the guy, you know, as you remember, the last time they met, Jonathan comes to him and says, I know you are the Lord's appointed. When we kind of work this out, I will be your number two. I will serve under you because we are brothers. And so this is David's response to hearing that Jonathan's dead. Any thoughts, questions, anything you've heard about that? When did the Hebrew language uh, become a written language? When, when was this written down? Probably, uh, like I said, we're, we're at 10 something. Uh, probably after the Babylonian or during the Babylonian. Uh, there's a real argument among scholars whether or not, because Hebrew and Aramaic are very, very similar. And so some guys will argue that the Hebrews learned to speak Aramaic from Babylon, and then they learned to write Hebrew from the Aramaic. Other people will say, no, they're just related languages. They, they spoke Hebrew, or they wrote Hebrew before this. We, we know that Moses has written down he, what we think is Hebrew for the Septuagint, the first five books. We know uh, Judges and Joshua are probably written by this time. So there, but Hebrew, this version of Hebrew would have been a, people didn't read like you and I read. It would have been a prompt to speak out loud, to read it out loud. Because the, the Hebrew at this stage doesn't have capitalization, uh, it doesn't have punctuation, and so as you read the words, you get the rhythm and the meaning of what the author said. So, it, and like, I, but was his but was his question when, not when this book was written, but when did the Hebrew language was written down? Right, when, from when it started. Well, we know Moses wrote what we think is in Hebrew. Although, un, you know, understand Moses would have been an educated Egyptian, so it's possible that Moses wrote some of the stuff in Egyptian, and then it was translated later. The, the first languages after cuneiform and all, right. the, all that jolly group were either Sinaitic or Semitic, right. which is both Hebrew. Right. Those were the first languages. The alphabet that we have is Hebrew. Uh, Aleph, the first two letters in the, in the alphabet uh, in Hebrew are Aleph, Bet, Alpha, Bet. That's where we get the alphabet. So the Hebrew language. So, so the, uh, when, when, were, when were the scriptures collected into a book? Probably just prior to the Septuagint in about 300 B.C. Uh, because as we're going to find as we go through this, when we get to the end of Kings, uh, all the books are going to get this. And that's one of the things when you see them going to Babylon captivity and come back, they start finding books once they come back that they've forgotten about. Because all these are on scrolls. So there's, each book would have been a scroll. So there's not, to carry the Old Testament around you, you would have had a bunch of scrolls, 30. Uh, and so, they're, and generally they were left in the uh, temple or with the Levites for reading. 
So this is David's lament. All right. David anointed king over Judah. Uh, now this is first and second Samuel. The biggest thing you see is the, is the contrast between Saul and David. Everything, every time before David does something, he inquires of the Lord. Saul usually does it after he's done something that's gone wrong. Then he goes, wait a minute, let, let me inquire. Let me inquire of the Lord. Uh, you know, the, uh, the witch of Endor last week, same thing. It's, oh, I've gotten in trouble. Let me, let me go ask the witch. Since I've killed most of the priest who would have helped me, uh, let me go ask the witch. David inquires of the Lord, shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? And the Lord says, go up. All right. I will freely admit, and no one knows, did the Lord tell him directly to go up? Did he talk to, we know he's gone with the high priest with him. And we're not sure how he sends these messages. But they're obviously clear. Uh, go up. And where should I go? To Hebron. Uh, and so he, that, he went up there with his two wives. Pay attention to this. Next week, we're going to find, he picks up a few more in about a chapter. Uh Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail. We've met Abigail before. She's the, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. Nabal, whose name means fool. She's the widow of the fool. So after he dies of stroke or heart attack or whatever he dies of, accumulate, she marries David. They took all the men with, with him, each with his family, and they settled in Hebron as towns. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and they anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. He's not the king over all of Israel yet. He is just king of Judah. Which is his home tribe. And then David was told as the men from Jabesh Gilead who buried Saul. And it's uh, what they did for Saul is extremely dangerous. Because the guy, Saul and Jonathan and Jonathan's brothers were all pegged to the outside wall. This is exactly the same thing the Romans do in the time of Jesus. It's a warning. Because who is the king in, the, in this society? The best fighter. He's the guy, remember what people said, we want a king who can go out and fight our fights for us. So he is the most powerful fighter in the kingdom. The Philistines paid his corpse to their wall and said, Here, let me show you the top three fighters in your kingdom. Oh, I'm sorry, they don't have any heads. And they're all paid to the wall. So you should do what we want. So the fact that the guys from Jabesh Gilead snuck up in the night and took those bodies down is a very strong statement of how much they appreciated Saul and Jonathan. And may the Lord bless you for showing this kindness. And may the Lord show you this kindness and faithfulness. I will show you the same favor because you have done this. Now be strong and brave for your Saul master is dead. The people of Judah have anointed the king over him. Remember, Jabez Gilead is not in Judah. So this is part of his uh, David who he is. Saying, yes, you did what a, a brave thing to poor Saul. But it's also politics. Because he's now saying, all right, I'm going to treat you, Jameis Gilead, the city that Saul has saved multiple times, I'm going to treat you just like Saul. So he's beginning the politics of, I need to be king of all Israel. And just to, just to remind you, so, uh, lost Jesus, it's, it's, it's right in here. Uh, and so David's in Hebron, right here. And so now he has to convince all the rest of these guys that he's the rightful king. 
And so, you know, just like, you know, Game of Thrones, I don't want to be a king, I want to be the king. David is a king at this point. And Saul leaves. Not all of Saul, Saul's sons are killed. So there is another king of the rest of this. So it, it's just, you know, it's just like, everyone thinks that, you know, like Game of Thrones and things, that he makes that stuff up. You just have to read the Bible. That's, that's literally the same story. Oh, this king's dead. Uh, I think his son's going to be king. So war between the houses of David and Saul. Uh, Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, go all the way back. Who's Abner? He is Saul's nephew. He's a relative. So he actually has, Abner has a claim for the throne. Because he is a male relative of the dead king and a commander of the army. And so he found Ishbothish, with his, I say that really fast five times, uh, the son of Saul brought him over and made him king over all of Israel. So he was 40 years old when he is now anointed king over Israel by Abner. He reigned two years. The tribe of Judah remained loyal to David. And the length of time David was king and he reigned over Judah was seven years and six months. So it's going to take a while to finish all this out and figure out who's the real king. And so Abner got together with Joab. Abner is the commander of Saul's army. Joab is the commander of David's army and he is David's nephew you keep it all in the family uh, so he's David he is David's nephew uh, and so they met at the pool of Gideon they sat on one side and the other side then Abner said to Joab let us have some of the young men get up and fight hand to hand in front of us all right, let him do it. This is not, inter everyone thinks this is entertainment. This is not entertainment. What they're doing is, instead of both armies fighting, pick your best 12. They're, they're Hebrews, they're going to do it in 12s. Pick your best 12 against my best 12. Whoever wins, wins. This is just like the Philistines did with... Uh, Goliath and David, right? Goliath stomps out and says, if you beat me, you beat the army, we'll be your slaves. This is exactly what they're doing here. As instead of everybody fighting, we're going to pick our 12 best, whoever wins, so whoever wins the most out of 12 is going to be the winner. And so they counted them off, 12 and 12, and they each grabbed his opponent by the head and thrust his dagger into his side, and they fell down together, so all 12 kill each other. Uh, and that, that place in Gibeon was called Helphazra. Uh, this in Aramaic and, and Hebrew means dagger. Place, it means the place of the dagger. So everyone knows the story of they try to fight the war, they kill each other, nobody, nobody wins. Uh, and so then, on the day of the battle, so when that didn't work, they had a traditional battle. Uh, and so Abner and the Israelites were defeated by David's men. Uh, now there are the three sons and brothers, Joab, Abishai, and Ashel. Ashel was fleet-footed as a wild gazelle. Uh, and he chased Abner, neither turning left or right. And remember, these guys all know each other. Is that you, Ashel? He says, it is. And so they're running. You can imagine they're in armor. They're running. Uh, and so turn to the left or right. Take off one of the young men and strip him of his weapons. I'm going to give one of my guys up so I can survive. But he wouldn't stop chasing him. Uh, and they again warned him, stop chasing me. Why should I strike you down? Uh, how can I look your brother Joab in the face? Remember, these guys grew up five, six miles apart. Not, not very far. He refused to give up. So Abner 
thrust the butt of his spear into Ashiel's stomach and the spear came out through his back. That, in the medical world, we say is bad things. <laughs> there are good things and bad things. Having the spear go all the way through and come out the back is a bad thing. Uh, and he dies. And then uh, he was so much faster, this is out in front of everyone. So everyone can see this occur. And when all the Judah, the men of Judah get there, they stop. And except for his two brothers. His two brothers keep chasing him. They also realize this is not this is personal, but it's also political. If you kill Abner, who leads the armies of Israel? Nobody. So this is a quick way to end the war. I'm going after their leader. Uh, and so Abner calls out, uh, must the sword devour forever? Don't you realize this will end in bitterness? How long before you, of other men, to stop pursuing your fellow Israelites? Uh, and Joab answers, surely as God, if you had not spoken, they were, we would have continued all night and chased you all down and killed you all, is what he says. So he blew the trumpet, and then Abner's men continue to go up and across the river. They cross the Jordan to the other side. Remember, when, they, when you say Jordan, cross the Jordan, there are no bridges over the Jordan. They swam the Jordan, or waded the Jordan, depending on how deep it is, in armor in the middle of the night. They wanted to get away. This was not, eh, we, we kind of do this. This is like, yeah, we're getting on the other side of the river, no matter what. Uh, and so Joab stopped pursuing Abner and assembled the whole army. So basically, David lost 20 men. They killed 360 Benjamites. And they took Asher and buried him with his father's tomb at Bethlehem. And then they turned around and marched back to Hebron. So, the end of the chapter, but not the end of the story. So next week, it's just As the World Turns, Hebrew edition. Uh, they, and when we get to the end of 2 Samuel, you'll see Joab gets his eventually. Uh, he, he is very much David's uh, enforcer. And he does stuff that David needs done, but David can't bring himself to order. And then it comes back on me uh, at the end of the, the end of this book. All right, that's the end of chapter two. Any questions, thoughts? We got three and a half minutes. I have a question. Yeah. You may have said this, and I might have just missed it, but what is this twelve versus twelve fight? Like, I understand it's, it's an issue of power. But if it had ended there, would that have been yes, determined who yes. was the house of David or the house of Saul to yes. rule that territory? Yes. That was, it was not infrequent that when armies would get together, you would put your best. When, when armies fought in those days, it was all one-on-one. -on -one, mm -hmm. Right? It wasn't my phalanx of 20 guys is marching here helping each other. Everyone fought one-on-one. -on -one. So what they would do in a lot of cases, they would just you would pick your best twelve. Yeah, I just didn't, wasn't totally sure on what they were fighting oh. for exactly. They were fighting for who's with. So the rest of this would not occur. Uh -huh. They said, "Let's fight," and if it's clear that the men of David triumph, the rest of us are going to surrender, and David's going to be the king. But they all killed each other, and so they took that as there is there is no champion, therefore let's fight. And so the whole army's fought at that point. Well, relatively fought. Saul had remember, if you look, first Samuel, Saul had 3,000 men, David had 600 men. But Saul's army was just devastated by the Philistines. So whatever's left is now fighting David's men. So, but th that, that's not an unusual thing. It's just, like I said, just, it's just like Goliath you know, if you can beat our champion, but your champion beats our champion, you win. And as you find out, just like in Goliath, did the Philistines surrender to the Israelites after David won? No. They all said, oh, we're running back to town. Yeah. They all left and took off and broke their word. You just, you, guys who are pirates, you just can't trust their word. Yes? I think that's part of my question. 
it didn't work when Goliath uh, died. Do we have any evidence to make another history where the reconnaissance guys won and the other side gave in? Yeah, there are, there are throughout this area, there are, there are stories of battles that occurred like that. That instead of, and especially for this, because this is a civil war, right? The Benjamites versus Judas. And so they would have, had there been a clear winner, like, you know, 9 out of 12 of David's men won, they would have given up. They would have taken that as a sign. You know, when they all killed each other, they took that as a sign that maybe we should continue with battle number two. Yes? I have a medical question. Yeah. <laughs> so the actual uh, Hebrew, when, when, they, when the 12 guys are fighting and they grab one another's head, it says he stabbed him literally under the fifth rib. What does that mean? That's in his heart. That's where your heart is. So when we were in Israel, the guy told us that they have evidence where the way these guys fought is they would actually hold each other's hair. That's how you would start fighting. They had long hair, right. and to keep you know from everybody running around, and each person would pair up, and they would hold each other's hair, so they would have to stay, and they'd have to hold on. If you let go, you lose. Right. So they would actually hold that person's hair and start fighting that way, that close. Yeah, it's, uh, we, we know from the time of Alexander the Great, so well after this, that he has rules that when you go to battle, you shave your head for this exact reason. Uh, that, that's why I do it. So, <laughs> so I'm safer. I'm safer. Uh, but yeah, that, that's what they would do. The, the, the Greeks, a little after this, would, they would shave your head before you went to battle. Because you, because they tend to have long hair, and you would not want your hair grabbed. But yeah, that's so they, they literally, the twelve guys they grabbed each other and they all pulled the knives out at the same time and stabbed, and they all died in with the same time. Yes. Jeff, for for people who are supposedly the people of God, and David's sort of uh, persona of seeking God's guidance on him. This seems like a very ungodly way to resolve an issue, just to let's all stand around and kill each other. Where, where is God in all of this? Where, where is God in all that? that the, I mean, these are not heathen. These are not, these are not heathen. But you, you see, that's one of the reasons that the, the kingdom needed to get put together. Can we talk about the... Randall was talking about sacrificing your children to Baal. Uh, that was not an uncommon occurrence. So a lot of these people were Hebrews. They were Israelites by genetic, but they were intermarried with the people around them. So especially Saul's army, because Sam was saying, you know, God is taking your hand from you, from today. I, I'm putting your crown on someone else, David. Uh, who Saul instantly realizes who it's going to be, and so yeah, they're they're not uh, they're not acting the God. The Saul's people or the Benjamites are not sitting down with the priest and saying how should we uh, go forward. Part of that was that if you go back three chapters, Saul killed all the priests, the Benjamin, because he thought they were helping David, and so he killed them all but one. So there may not have even been any Levites with the tribe of Benjamin. They're a small tribe, Saul killed them all, which if I was a Levite, I would take that as a very strong signal that I need to move to another tribe. If, yeah, I forget how, 40-some tribe? No, Levites. It says early on, but he killed a lot. There were a lot of Levites in Benjamin, he killed them all. But so that's that, what I love about this whole thing. This is so uncivilized, and this is so far from where we are. We've come a, we've come a long way uh, to be more godlike, but that's not where they're living. And so, this is a journey to get there. Get, get. Yeah. So it's 
we say that, but then we have Ukraine going on right now, and we've got uh, the, for the for the church East East Congo uh, M23 attacking all our uh, exile mission points. Uh, yeah, this is still going on today, just like this. Who, who's who's going to be the winner? The guy who's alive at the end, right? That's that's literally the Congo right now. That's Ukraine right now. And that's not the, sanctioned by God. That's not sanctioned by I God. That's the question. I don't think this necessarily was sanctioned by God. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I think David is crowned king and is protecting, and then uh, Abner is not giving this up. And he said, "No, Ishbaphat Ish is king." And you're like, "Well, who who did God anoint? Well, God anointed David." So if you were a follower of God, you say, well, David's the king. Uh, especially now, especially that Saul's dead. Uh, and so you see this just continuation of, uh, I don't want to listen to God. I want to, I want to be the king because the king has all the power. And so that's Abner. And then we'll see in a couple of chapters, Abner really does want to be king. So Jesse, yes. if God is with David and when David is king, why did, these, why did he allow these 24 young guys to die to the hurt? Why did he not side with David's side? <laughs> uh, who's to say he did? David won the battle. But a lot more people died than needed to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> I, 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 I haven't been solved in that first battle. Before 12 had he died. Right. It's messy. It's it's, messy. Yeah, it's, it's messy. I, I have no answer to that. Of why didn't God zap Abner? He could have. And just said, and when Abner said, let's fight, and God goes, you know, because elsewhere, when you go back to Judges, you know, God does that. You know, the people, let's fight the Israelites, and, you know, it's a, it's a total wipeout on one side. Uh, why he doesn't do this, I have no idea. And part of it, this, this is when you get to the historical part of kings, of the struggle for who is going to be king. That takes David, like I said, six and a half, seven and a half years in Hebron before he's king over all of Israel. And that doesn't count the time that he was in uh, Ziglag or the time that he's living in the courts with uh, Saul of Benjamin. So, I mean, he's been, appoint he's been appointed king for a long time now before he becomes the king. And he's got a lot more mistakes to do because the rest of this book is these are the mistakes of David and how to you should avoid them. But he's, he still manages to be a man after God's own heart. He makes mistakes, but he constantly repents and comes back. All right, so next week, chapter 3 and 4. <laughs>